0: Hello everyone, and welcome to I4CP's Next Practices Weekly podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Tom Stone, a Senior Research Analyst at I4CP, the Institute for Corporate Productivity, the leading authority on next practices and human capital. The Next Practices Weekly podcast is one of the ways we share those practices with you by interviewing top HR leaders and facilitating discussion with the broader HR community, on what high-performance organizations are doing differently with their people practices, from HR strategy to talent acquisition, learning and development, diversity, equity, and inclusion, and much more. In early May of 2022, I4CP Senior Research Analyst Carrie Naiman joined me for a conversation with Christine Deputy, Chief People Officer at Pinterest. We discussed a range of topics, including their approach to hybrid and flexible work, their approach to pay equity, their innovative ombuds program, and much more. Here now is that discussion with Christine Deputy.
1: Good morning, Christine. Thanks so much for taking the time to talk with us today. We really appreciate you joining us.
2: Thanks, it's great to be here. Am I? Can you guys hear me okay? Sounds great. All right.
1: Sounds really good. Um, So maybe we could just jump in and just start off by talking a little bit about you what's your background, kind of where were you before Pinterest, what brought you to Pinterest?
2: All right, Um, so background, I've been in HR my whole career, so I've worked um, in a lot of different places, uh, both locations and companies. Uh, I started my career in Travel and financial services with a company called Thomas Cook, which is no longer in business, but they were the company that was around the world in 80 days. That's what that was based on. uh, That was a Thomas Cook uh, tour around the world Um, and Worked with uh, Thomas Cook. Worked with Starbucks really early uh, in their growth uh, phase. So uh, started with them when they had about 1,500 stores, and and I was based in the Canadian market up in Toronto. I'm a Jersey girl, though, so I'm a, uh, I'm, I'm originally from New Jersey. <laughs> um, Worked with them both in the US, uh, in Canada, and um, in Hong Kong. So, looked after their Asia Pacific operations in Greater China for a while, um, and then moved from there to Duncan Brands. So I've got lots of coffee in my background, if you're interested. And yes, this is coffee in my cup. Although, you know, I'm not sure if I can have enough of it. Um, And then uh, decided to try new industries. So I joined Barclays uh, in the UK and I ran HR for their global retail bank which was very interesting um, and very challenging. It was during, um, while I was there, it was during the LIBOR crisis, if those of you who remember coming out of the financial crisis, then we had the LIBOR crisis where everybody was fixing interest rates. Well, we were, we were first out on that one, so that was kind of an interesting experience from a crisis mm-hmm. management standpoint. Uh, worked in insurance, a company called Aviva, and then decided to come back to the States and was very lucky to be able to come back to Seattle and work for Nordstrom. So was with Nordstrom for about almost seven years and very, very lucky to have had a chance to work with Nordstrom and the family and the and that that business, but also very challenging during um COVID and having that really dispersed workforce and the uh, facilities around uh, distribution groups and the distribution centers, which I think many, many on this call may experience, may have experience. Uh, I joined Pinterest in June last year, so I almost have a one-year anniversary coming up, which is kind of freaking me out because (laughs) I can't believe how fast it's gone. Um, uh, I'm based in Seattle and uh, we'll be moving back. We'll be moving down to San Francisco. We'll probably keep a home base here and 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 spend a fair bit of time there. Um, Join Pinterest. Uh, really wanted an opportunity to work in a pure tech company and try another industry. I found in my career working with different industries. Every time I've switched, um, it's it's you learn a whole new set of sort of HR practices and assumptions and tools. And it's I find it really fascinating to see you know, this is where this group leans. This is where this group leans. And then all of a sudden you can start to bring, Hey, this is something they do in banking. Could we do this in retail, or this is something they do, uh, in insurance or in the UK. And could we bring that to the U S um, and so, uh, it's, it's for me, I'm a real, I like to learn, I like to be uh, challenged and, and, uh, I really enjoy, a. A complicated scenario, which is most of the companies I've been in there. I found them, I think the function by itself is always dealing with complicated scenarios. So Pinterest has been fantastic. Uh, the company is, we are very focused on being a very different kind of technology experience, a different kind of place on the internet. Um, we're seeing, uh, you know, the Surgeon General most recently just came out with, um, you know, the issues in in mental health that that kids are experiencing because of the amount of time and the kind of things that they're doing on the Internet. Um, And so we really aspire to be a more nourishing place for folks. We don't allow any, you know, political speech. We don't allow any misinformation around environment or climate misinformation. We don't uh, allow any... uh, weight loss advertisement we do significant amount of work around identity uh, making sure that we have identities represented on the site and really try and create an environment where people can have inspiration and help them move from inspiration to realization so it hopefully is a site where you can go and feel excited and nourished and positive, and then maybe get some ideas about really cool things that you could do in real life. Um, so we don't look to try and get everybody on the site every single day, all day long. We actually expect that it's more weekly average weekly users and monthly users, not daily users, um, because we think that's a healthier kind of mix. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, it's been fun growing really, really fast, and doing things in technology. You couldn't go faster if you tried, uh, which is I thought retail was about as fast as you had to go, but tech puts a whole nother spin on it, and uh, and I've been learning a lot. So it's been it's been great.
1: What I really love about everything you just shared in terms of your background is just the diversity of the industries you've been in, and it does sound like you might search out those companies that have huge challenges to solve. So that's got to keep you motivated and interested. Um, For sure. Can you just maybe tell us a little bit? I'm sure most people know what Pinterest is, but I I remember just learning about it three or four years ago. I was not a big Pinterest user back then. So maybe you just tell us a little bit about what it is, what it does, that kind of thing.
2: Yeah, Pinterest uh, originated as sort of a way to organize uh, all of the content on the internet. So originally, it's sort of this concept of, as I'm on the internet and I'm identifying either an article or a visual sort of uh, picture things that I want to collect, you can bring that into a board on Pinterest. And so, for example, on my uh, on my site, on my Pinterest uh, login, I have boards on recipes, I have boards on, uh, on planning my Easter dinner with a group of people. So I, I kind of start collecting some of the recipes and things that I want to do there. Um, I'm starting boards around building a house. So starting to think about what are some of the, the sort of the, the visuals that would give me insight around how we want to look at um, this, this property and the way we want it to feel. And so um, I, I do horseback riding. So there's I have a board on horseback riding where I put all sorts of things around exercises to do with the horse or ways to help the horse, have the horse trust you more. So it's a way to do that. And then on top of that, what we do is we also have a shopping ability. So let's say you're getting ready for a trip. I have a girls trip board in there for Honolulu. I'm going with a couple of friends and I can also go in there and think about packing tips and uh, things that I want to buy. And I can go in and I can click through and actually go and purchase clothes or a bathing suit or whatever I might want or a lamp for the house or those kinds of things. So the concept is really about uh, inspiration. So what are you, what, how are we going to inspire you to do things in your life? Then, um, planning, which is some of the tools on planning. We're still building out around timelines and way to collaborate with other people, uh, shopping, which is an area we've built out more of in the recent history, and we're going to continue to, to grow in that space. So how are ways that I can do shopping on the site, and then finally, with this underlying concept of nourishment, so making sure it's a safe, positive uh, environment where people feel progress and feel that they're they're getting good things. So we're looking at how to measure nourishment, and you know, after you get on, as you exit the site, you know, do you feel better than when you got on the site? And um, and that's some of the things that we want to try and accomplish.
1: Yeah, I love that. It certainly goes against the grain of a lot of social media sort of approaches, right? Like you were talking about, it's not about the numbers so much. It's about the experience. So I really, really love that. Um, Thanks for sharing. I do, I can say just personally, I was very happy when I started being able to actually figure out where to buy the stuff that was on there. Like that was that was a huge benefit for me, so that I didn't have to go search things, search around for things posting. Exactly.
2: Well, with the retail background, I was like, okay, yeah, gotta, gotta do this. This, this on, thing's gotta people. go way faster.
1: <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. So maybe we could jump in just kind of Pinterest's approach to flexible work. We okay. talked about this a bit in the prep meeting. I thought it was super interesting. Some of it's, you know, a, a, a few things that you mentioned. Other companies are doing other things are super innovative. So let's kind of chat about that and how you got there, what considerations went into where you are now, that kind of thing.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's been quite the journey for us um, in that when I joined... The company had gone through. I think so many groups had uh, sort of categorizing jobs and saying these are going to be remote, these are going to be hybrid. This is how many days. These are the days. They've done all this work, but they had not implemented anything because we still weren't at a place with the COVID, um, with our COVID team who um, were monitoring the numbers and the you know infection rates and all those things. And so as I came in, um, what we really wanted to do was come up with a program that would not require tons and tons of exceptions. Because what we were finding is, is that teams would say, all right, well, this is how these groups are gonna work, but there's these exceptions for these people, and there's these exceptions for these people. And I find in my practice, you know, my experience, because I always worked with these really big, large employee groups, I hate exceptions. I don't, I wanna have as few edge cases and exceptions as we possibly can. So as a senior team, as an executive team, we started to have these debates and discussions about what were the principles we wanted to accomplish and um, and, and some of the things that we really wanted to consider and, and things like Pinterest is a really relationship company. It's a strong relationship company, which is interesting because you'd think in a tech company that wouldn't be as big of a deal. We do a thing called NitCon every year. We do tons and tons of stuff like come in and learn how to draw or come in and learn how to bake a cake, or we're going to do an origami class. And we've been doing those things since we were originated. NitCon is two, three days every year that we bring everybody in the company together. We actually do it three sites now and people teach things like my head of people analytics taught how to, how to land, a, a fighter jet on an aircraft carrier because wow. he came from the navy. <laughs> so you can learn anything, you but know. Important <laughs> skill for us all, but I bet it was super interesting. <laughs> I know exactly. But that was the that's the idea of NITCON, which is what are all the kinds of things that you're interested in outside of your day to day job that you want to share with other people. So um, because again, the whole concept of Pinterest is to be inspired to broaden your life and, and take on new challenges. So um, and I love seeing in the chat all the fun things that people are using with the boards. So we realized, okay, our location and physical connection is really important. And we went through a lot of cultural challenges in 2020, and, and they were very public. So we had lawsuits, we had you know claims of discrimination. And a lot of that as we dug, as I dug into that coming in, part of what I was trying to look at and partner with the board and the, the leadership team was how do we get this culture back on track? And a lot of that was impacted by this intensity of everybody dispersing and not having a lot of the systems that really create create, I would say stickiness for the culture. So what we wanted to do is we wanted to give people the autonomy and the agency to make decisions about where they want to work and where they want to live. We wanted to encourage people and not limit them about how much time they spent in the office And then what we really wanted to do is, we used a phrase, we wanted to earn the commute. So we wanted to be really thoughtful about when people come in, that the work that they're doing when they're in the office, when we require you to come into the office, that it's not just a routine thing like every Tuesday and Thursday, but it's about when we do this work, it's high fidelity interactions we want, so we want people together but this other work doesn't need high fidelity interactions. And so it's okay that we might do it through this, uh, virtual experience. And so we had our most senior leaders think about what's the work in your area in your function that requires that high fidelity things like team building things about strategic planning, things like solving really complicated problems. Um, things like, um, Uh, new, joining the company and kind of becoming immersed in some of the cultural aspects, building relationships. And so we identified those high fidelity activities and the low fidelity activities. And then we actually, and I'll tell you, this was quite a process, but I had leaders think about how frequently do you do those things? And so it got down to a place where I, I had to say to some leaders, go look at your calendar for the last three months and tell me of all the meetings on your calendars, which one of those meetings would have been better if you had been in physical, physical space together. And that finally broke the back of the concept, and then we were able to kind of go, okay, now we get it. So it's called Pinflex, and basically people can live wherever they want. They generally know uh, in their role how frequently their team will require them to come together based on the kind of work that they do. And we do it, we kind of give them an estimate, like it could be 10%, 20%, we're trying to give them, but it's not like locked in stone, because it may evolve. But our commitment is, is that every quarter, you're gonna be able to see your calendar one quarter ahead. And if you live within commuting distance and you'll commute in, if you live outside of commuting distance, we'll pay for your travel. We do geographic pay and everybody gets a commuter allowance and an at-home office allowance combined. So really trying to create a space. And what was really important for me is I think a lot of CEOs, and again, this is not because they're bad people, but a lot of CEOs are saying, I want people to be in the office. It's the way that we are going to work best. Mm -hmm. But the reality is, is they're never going to be told when to be in the office. And so they have a level of autonomy and agency that your software engineer doesn't have. Because if we tell them they have to come in the office Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, they don't get to say, I'm not coming in the office Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. But a CEO or an executive, they do. And that felt really disproportionate mm-hmm. around control. And so that's really where we are. So we're just, we're in the process of you know finalizing things. We've got some people that we're trying to figure out where are they living now? Because during COVID, people scattered. And you know, you're know you like, are you permanently living in Idaho? Or are you coming back to San Francisco? And we're working through the salary pieces because people are being adjusted for, for geographic pay. Um, but- so far, you know, we just did an employee, value sur- employee voice survey, and we had an 85 you know positive rating for this PinFlex program, and that's I think that's pretty pretty good. So we're excited about that. And the only areas people are concerned about are one, our international employees in particular, they want to go for like 90 day periods and work in different countries. So we're working through solving that. And then the geographic pay, um, which is you know a question I'm curious to hear about from other people. Right now, there's differences in state taxes, there's differences in benefits, there's different, you know, in different countries. And so we're currently staying with geographic pay because we're also very committed to pay equity. And it's very hard to figure out if you have pay equity if you you don't have geographic pay differentials, unless you go to 100% everybody the same, but then you have to fix it really fast. Mm -hmm. And that's a cost associated. And then, because right now the geographic pay differential sort of offsets the travel costs. Um, and so we can be completely flexible with that. Yeah. So that's our program. I hope I didn't go too long.
1: No, no, that was, <clears throat> I actually have a couple of follow-up questions. Tom you, Tom, you probably do too on that. Zeta, I know we have a, um, a poll specific to the location-based pay question that we're just talking about. Maybe we can launch that, talk a little bit. I, I have two follow-ups based on our, um, our pre-prep conversation, but Tom, I want to give you an opportunity to jump into, um. Any burning questions you have based on what Christine just shared?
0: Well, she she noted the a couple of times the different pay uh, or stipends and so on for both people. One, they're working remote, but also for travel. I bet some folks on the call would just like a little more double click detail on that. If you could, um, what does that look like? Um,
2: yeah, they get um, they get. I want to say it's like. God, I want to I tell you the number. I want to say it's about $500 that they can expense all their office expenses on. And we expect sometimes when they first join, they might buy a desk or things like that. And they get that every year. So that's all for their kind of office expenses. And then we have a commuter benefit that you can take advantage of, which is, you know, done through one of those commuter programs where you, you know, it's pre-tax funds and it goes for like mm-hmm. a commuter card. And whether you're, you know, in an office, like whether you live in downtown San Francisco or you live in Idaho, like I said, you still get access to that commuter benefit and you can use it however you want. And so that way it doesn't. So, for example, if I'm in San Francisco and I'm in the office, um, uh, if I'm in the office, uh, I go, I want to go in a couple of days a week. And I'm not really required to do it. I can do it. I can use my commuter benefit to reduce my cost there. And then in our offices, we are, you know, sort of one of those more typical kind of tech offices where we have amazing food and activities and there's all sorts of fun stuff that happens and people have all sorts of good swag. And, you know, it's fun to be in the office and people get together and, you know, again, the food is great. I'll keep repeating that because I come from retail. (laughs) Nobody can feed you anything in retail.
0: Um, All right. So. Re- regarding the, the, the travel, um, Clara in the chat is is just, again, asking may- maybe for people that live far enough away where to travel to the office for meeting would require a flight. W- what are the guardrails on that?
2: Yeah, they're normal. They're just normal travel guidelines. So if a leader says, I'm going to bring my team together once a month for a couple, three days, um, and they're, they've got people that live in different places, they use their travel budget to bring okay. them yeah. in. And so what we've said to them is this year we're going to, the first six months, we're not going to adjust the policy at all. And we've said to them, there may be some leeway that you have around your travel budget, may spend a little bit more than you thought and all that, because we're trying to figure it out. And then we'll start to use that as some insight. And we've got like, we're giving them insight for how to budget for next year. Um, But generally the travel, the amount of travel that you actually need is less than most people think. We're still a very San Francisco-based company. So there's a lot of, you know, people still there. We do have people that have relocated, but it's not the majority. And over time, what we've said is, is, you know, people could go to our Chicago office, our New York office, you know, one of our offices in Dublin, you know, we can look through that. and And leaders need to be thoughtful. Like if I have an international team, Do I really need them physically present together once a month? Probably not. I probably only need them once a quarter. And so I need to plan for that. But actually, once a quarter is a a reasonable amount of time to bring people together. And then we also are working very hard to help build development programs around being world-class at hybrid meetings. So, you know, I spoke at a meeting yesterday. I would say 80% of the participants were in a room in San Francisco. I was not and there were about four or five people that were not they were joining remotely and so whenever we have meetings we generally have a couple people that either have COVID have a family member that had COVID they can't travel for some reason and we just say great we'll dial you in and we're dialing them in and we're really you know you have to make time to say hey okay, for our team that's on, on on the, you know, phone, we've all had to learn how to dial into a meeting, even if you're physically present, so we can use the chat together, you know, we're all learning some of these new skills, and we're also learning where there's problems, and so, you know, oh, this doesn't work when you're together, so uh, that piece has been interesting, and it's working.
1: So, I'm just going to share, um, I think y'all can see the the poll results here. Um most, just over half though, are adjusting compensation based on where each employee lives, similar to to Pinterest approach. Um, we paste on, we pay paste, we, geez, we pay based on role only, not geography. 32%, some didn't know and then others. So the majority, but not by a huge margin. Is, I know I
2: would have thought it was yeah. would be bigger. I'm surprised, but I think that maybe the direction we're going into maybe it happened started happening with a $15 minimum wage kind of discussion.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So um, somebody, um, uh, just uh, Robert uh, direct chatted a message or a a question to me about pay transparency and how Pinterest is sort of approaching that. I know there's some changing regulations and that kind of thing. Um, Where, where's the discussion? Where, how do you manage that at this moment?
2: Yeah, we launched pay transparency last year. So all the salary ranges for all the roles are visible to any internal employee. They can see that and they can understand what the target compensation is um, for any particular role base. And it's most most of our compensation is based is base salary and then equity. Um, and our salespeople do have a bonus program uh, that is a cash bonus program. Um, but we're, we're transparent from that perspective. Now, what we don't do, like, so Netflix... Actually, you can see what everybody else makes. You can see it by person. Um, we don't do that, but we do show the ranges. Um, and so you can see that from, from that perspective. And so, you know, we have people that, you know, feel like, hey, I'm not being paid correctly. They raise a concern. We investigate. We look at it. We do pay equity reviews twice a year. Um, and um, and right now, because the market is moving so fast and we're hiring so fast and we've got so much turnover, we actually are looking at it quarterly because we're having to figure out how to retain people and, you know, you just have to make adjustments at times. And so we're looking at it on a quarterly basis, um, at least for right now, to kind of at least do a high-level assessment of particular areas where we've done adjustments to make sure that we're not getting off track. Um, uh, because that, that can happen really quickly. There's just, it's so much movement in the market. I'm sure everybody's dealing with that.
1: Yeah, Absolutely. So I just want I just want to call out, I took I wrote these two things down that you said. One of the things that I love is that you want the you want to create the way of doing things that that means the fewer the fewest exceptions possible. So like how can we and and just that balance and that I I love that. And then also earning the commute. I think there's a lot of people that can probably benefit just from that statement itself because they're trying to figure out when people should be in the office and not. So it really, really needs to be meaningful. Um on that, one of the other things that you you just briefly mentioned um, is that leaders, I believe, something about a quarter in advance with calendaring. Can you, can you talk about that a little bit just to help people plan?
2: Yeah, I think this probably comes from my retail background, but what I found coming into technology is that they, it, well, here's what I won't, I won't generalize, but I found in Pinterest, is that we work in this sort of almost startup way. And I'm kind of generalizing this to tech because a lot of my leaders come from all over the tech industry, Google, Facebook, you know, Amazon, et cetera. And in retail, you have very strong planning disciplines. And for frontline workers, you know, Starbucks really early on. It's very interesting. They're going through the unionization issue. I I worked for Starbucks when we had a union in Canada and and we we decertified. But one of the biggest concerns people had was this ability to predict their life and feeling like I can't predict my life. And so how can I manage my life if I don't know what I'm going to work? And so in in Starbucks, really early on, we we had this requirement that we posted schedules three to four weeks in advance. And when I joined Nordstrom, they were doing the same thing. It's a best practice. Well, why aren't we doing that for for people in technology too. So if you're going to require me to travel, now certainly at certain levels there's going to be unexpected trips and things like that. You get that. But generally if I want if I have childcare, if I have a family, you know, I've you know people that I'm caring for adults and other other responsibilities in my life, people should be able to predict their life. And so what we said is is Yes, we're going to have you do travel. Yes, you're going to be in the office periodically. We're not going to make it super structured in the sense of Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, you have to be in. But then, okay, so as a leader, I got to plan the quarter. So I shouldn't be like tomorrow saying, oh, you need to be here on on Monday or whatever. I shouldn't be giving people last minute notifications that they have to get on a plane or that they have to be in the office because that doesn't help them. So one quarter in advance. Let folks know these are the meetings we're going to have and stay consistent. Don't reschedule things because something came up for you. And that's, you know, it's one of those behaviors that leaders sometimes don't really understand. Like I have all this decision-making authority, but every time I change something at my level as this chief people officer, my whole organization is impacted because I've rearranged my schedule. Hmm. And so we said, listen, you need to be able to plan. We're going to be consistent. So once we plan something, we're not going to change it one quarter out we're going to stay consistent. It's, we'll see how it goes. It's a new discipline for some of, for some of us. um, And there's still going to be things that will happen, but at least we can try.
1: Yeah, it's a great, I mean, it's a great guideline. And to your point, just understanding how your actions as a leader, having that understanding how that impacts everybody else in your organization, oftentimes is not as great of an awareness as maybe it needs to be. So love that you're, you're sort of making sure that that's that's the case, at least in this, as much as you possibly can. Yeah. Tom, is there anything in the chat or anything that... um... Uh,
0: Yeah, Claire, again, asks a good question. Maybe give a little more color around how you were able to get the CEO and maybe other members of the executive team to understand the experiences uh, for returning to the office of, of the non-executives. You, you mentioned that, and I think it was a great point, but can you say a little bit more about what strategies maybe you use?
2: I got to tell you, I there's no magic to this one. I mean, we as an executive team, plus my two project team leaders that were working on this project, and then my HR business partners, we rounded the houses on this thing over and over and over again. And I will tell you the thing that ultimately broke it kind of broke the deadlock. So I had very senior leaders that wanted people back in the office, full stop. Like Ben Silverman, who I love, he's my CEO. He is the most intense introvert. And yet he loves being in the office. It is so funny. I mean, he loves being in there. He loves walking around, seeing everybody eating lunch and doing this. And that. Like, when we do our Q and A's and we have the whole company there, like his ability to do a Q and A with people in the room versus when they're, when he's doing it virtually. I mean, and I think probably a lot of our CEOs are like that. And some, a lot of us are right. We grew up in a, in a physical space environment. Like that's how we learn our craft. So we really went over and around and around the houses with it. And what ultimately broke it was the tech team, which is the largest part of our organization. So product engineering and design, The direct reports of their executives, so we have a head of product design, a head of engineering, their team, their direct reports could not get their heads around requiring their teams to come in on X days. Like they just, like their teams were like, this doesn't make sense. We cannot do this. We just believe that we have, we can't hold on to talent. We, you know, it's so crazy out there. And they pushed back. And so then those two leaders and my HR business partner, there's two HR business partners that were in those discussions with those teams. And they had to keep going back to those leaders and saying, you got to listen to your team. You got to listen to your team. You got to listen to your team. So they did a lot of work. So then those folks came to the group and they said, well, our teams want to be remote. But our executive team was like, no, we don't want our whole company to be remote because there was a belief set when we got underneath of it. What I uncovered is there was a belief set that if we called people remote, that they would not they would think that they weren't allowed to come in the office. And so what I had to figure out was a way to allow a fully hybrid remote kind of organization without calling it 100% remote. So we said, the project team, we were like, okay, so here's the challenge. We need to be able to create a remote experience without calling it remote. And so we called it PenFlex and we redefined it. And we said, we're not going to use remote and we're not going to use hybrid and we're not going to use any of the words that anybody else is using. This is PenFlex. And see, words have meanings that create pictures and assumptions in people's minds. So I thought, well, let's just change the words and then let's create meaning for those words. And then let's define it over and over and over again for the organization. And then ultimately now people are like, PenFlex is about me having choice. PenFlex is about, and I get to control and you know, and so now it's all, it's, it is, it is actually, I mean, if you cut down to it, it's almost, it's like a hybrid world. Everybody's hybrid, but they can live wherever they want, but they own it. And so that's we, we're not going to use those words anymore.
0: Yeah. That's great because the words hybrid and remote are now out there in the vernacular and there's both positive and negative stories about both. The word virtual used to be used for a lot of these two, um, uh, and so you you can you could read horrible stories about either of them or very positive stories in, in the media on social media, and you wouldn't want those things about other companies to color people's perceptions of what they have at Pinterest, even when it's not even true of the Pinterest approach. So creating a new concept, a new word, a new tag, uh was a really interesting way to go.
2: Yeah, it's a risk because we did debate the risk. So my team, we all, my leadership team and everything, we debated the risk of are we going to create a problem with the fact that we have a different word and, and we're going to ha- always have to define it? Yeah. And there was a risk associated with it, but I think it's going to turn out okay because we do things like we call it pin employees. We have pin inspiration for our inclusion and diversity. We have, you know, I don't know. We have all sorts of, we have, you know, pin cuisine is the food. And here's what I'll tell you. Now that the offices are open to up, up to hundred percent occupancy and we've launched pin, Pinflex. flex, people go to the office and they're having a great time and they're seeing each other and they're connecting. And and then we're also doing remote. So people are living where they want to live. And that's also good. So we have events like we did. We've done happy hours. We've done, uh, we do all hands meetings or all team meetings where we're doing like last week, we did a meeting where Ben was in the office in in San Francisco, and he had an all-hands session there. It was connected to me and two other leaders in New York. We had everybody physically there, and then we had about 1,000 people online, and basically they could see each other, and they could see the teams, and, and so what we found was people felt really connected in a way that they didn't when it was just individuals in these boxes. And we got tons of positive feedback for it and because it was also in two locations too. And so we're going to try and keep doing that kind of thing as well. So you got to be super like intentional, like, and now we have our pit, our nit cons coming up. And so we've told everybody, you can either go to the San Francisco office, the Chicago office, or the London. it's, either, I don't forget if it's London or Dublin office. And we're doing three, you know, we'll do those. The, everybody can travel. They go into NITCON, It's a three-day thing and they can teach and they can just participate and, you know, it's another time for the company to come together to celebrate our culture and have these cultural moments. There's a woman who did a book on moments that, uh, on, on, being intentional about meetings, mm-hmm. uh, gatherings. I just heard her speak at an Accenture conference. I'd read the book. Um, and she really speaks about how to be intentional about when you do gatherings and why you're doing them. And so we're trying to really lean into that.
1: Mm-hmm. It makes so much sense. Um, I, it, I love everything you shared again and you're getting, there's, I, I don't know if you're following the chat, but there's a ton of great energy around so much of the things that you're sharing. There was a question in the chat about just your, your approach to onboarding, you know, again, with so many new people I'm sure joining, um, how are you managing through that? How are you getting people aligned to the culture and understanding what Pinterest is all about?
2: Yeah, we have a uh, Pintro, which is our Pinterest intro program. So when you're onboarded, you're, you go to Pintro, and everybody starts uh, during a Pintro week. So we do that virtually. Um, but what we are doing is, is we're also... Um, we're starting to look at how we're going to offer Pintro both in person and virtually. So we're going to do some of that. The other thing that we're doing is, is we're working on immersion just in general. Onboarding is really critical. And we found that especially with senior leaders that are coming in and a remote, um, they don't get as connected to the company. And we all know those relationships are really where the stickiness happens. And so we're working on, on onboarding and immersions And we're working on really trying to bring people into offices and into meetings for those onboardings. Our senior leadership, which is sort of the top 100 plus kind of group, we bring them together at least um, twice a year in person. And we're trying to actually think about the third time during the year so that we can bring them together so they build a community. And we're doing a lot of community development there. Um, And then we do lots of things like we have Ask Me Anything sessions where – we, we open that up in a dialogue on that. We do, um, like I said, the immersion plans are planned. So when you come in, you probably have a calendar that's at least two months sort of planned for you, where we've got meetings and greetings and we've started uh, Culture Buddies, which is something I... We leveraged back at Starbucks days where we give people a culture buddy so they have a friend that can kind of just talk about whatever they can tell them. I've been here for six years and I know all the backgrounds and the history and all these things. So we're just we're trying to we're trying to break the back on all those different onboarding pieces. The other thing we're working really hard on is realistic job previews in the interview process. I love that. Um, I think that's probably the biggest challenging. Um... Oh, Maria, you're right. It is the art of gathering by Priya uh, Parker. So thank you for putting that in the chat. That book is amazing and she's amazing by the way. I, I read the book, but when I heard her speak, she's off the charts. Um, she was incredible. Um, but yeah, we're really trying to kind of get this kind of um, connection happening um, and this realistic, because we're, you know, we're growing really fast. I mean we're 20 we're, I have 30% more employees this year than I had last year in January. I was like, you know, we got 120 people signed up for Pintro for next week. Like it's just like hundreds and hundreds of people. And, you know, you got to be, you got to be really thoughtful um, on how to do that. Uh, so we're getting there.
1: Never done, right? No, no never
2: done. <laughs> And any ideas that people have about how to do that virtually as well, I'm always really interested in, in cool and inter- inter- interesting ways to kind of make those connections happen.
1: So one of the other things that you mentioned again in our prep call that I thought was super interesting, hadn't heard of this approach before was bringing in ombuds, You had talked a bit about that. I'd love to just hear Pinterest's approach to that. What what brought that on? What do you use them for? And sort of how are they the same or different than your HRBPs,
2: Yeah, this is an interesting one and I can't take any credit for it. So um, if any of you have ever gone through sort of a cultural disruption, um, many boards these days will lean in and do uh, work with attorneys and law firms to come in and do an evaluation and try and give sort of an objective third party view for the board around what's the culture, what's working, what's not working. And Pinterest went through that, it was very public. And um, there was a special committee of the board that created um, this report and this set of recommendations it's on our website. You can see it. I think it's Wilmer Hale was the attorneys, the the law firm. And so when I joined, we had already had this process of responding to this Wilmer Hale report. And one of the recommendations that the special committee made was that we should look at an ombuds program. And I have never worked with an ombuds. I've never worked in that sort of public sector. Most Universities, hospitals, um, also union environments. I was talking to the head of HR at Boeing. She's, they have you know they have ombuds and they're used to working with them. Well, I hadn't, and so when I joined, uh, we had we contracted with an external group to do this ombuds ser- service called Tequitable, and so we're piloting this program. I you know got, got involved and we started we piloted this program called Tequitable, which is an outsourced ombuds. But we also were interviewing ombuds and looking at bringing an ombuds person in and then having that person build out a team, a small team. Um, I am absolutely enamored and in love with this ombuds service. So they are independent. They are informal. Um, and they are completely disconnected in the sense of their, they are head of ombuds, Donna Douglas Williams, who you cannot, none of you can recruit. I love her. She's my, 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 my confidant partner. She does not report to me. Um, she reports to Ben and she has one team member adding to probably will end up maybe three or four people in the team. And what they do is they help people navigate the organization or issues. So she's really expert in things like conflict resolution, uh, really digs into helping people get their thoughts in order to help think about what is the issue that they're trying to deal with. Um, She does not, report any of her data in any detail to the board but she will report like she'll come we were just talking today about she'll come to my I my comp committee is like my culture and diversity and comp committee I think many of us have that now um, she will come and bring um bring uh, kind of an overview about like how the launch is going and what what kind of what kind of visitors she has she calls them her visitors and she's educated my team um on different things around what she does and what she doesn't do And so we have a really strong partnership. I invite her to all my team meetings. So I call her adjunct faculty, just like my lawyers, my employment lawyers join on my communication team. They join. They're all my adjunct faculty. And she participates and gives us insight. She has a very different way of looking at the world. She brought in a, we were having a conversation about something with job leveling and she, she brought in a concept about fairness. And it's a Canadian Ombuds Association concept about fairness. And kind of just that moment alone was hugely additive to the way my team was thinking about things. And so employees will go to the ombuds office to potentially they may want want to resolve the issue with just the ombuds and and maybe them maybe they just need to work it through themselves they may have already gone through an employee relations process or an investigation process and not loved the outcome so they might go and she helps them navigate like is this do you not believe the outcome is the right can you not live with that outcome or is it more that you're just disappointed or you didn't like the process so she helps them really navigate some of those conversations and there are times when she will say uh, I want to partner with the employee relations team so can I help you go and guide you to work with this group? Or you want to go to the legal team, or you want to file a complaint, or you want to make something formal, or you don't want it to be formal, or you, you think I should look at something, and you just want me to be aware of something. And so she's really a guide, but she doesn't report details. She doesn't, she doesn't do investigations. She doesn't do strategic planning. She doesn't do workforce insights. She doesn't create policies. But she's another place inside the organization that is purely a resource for employees as they're navigating the world of work. And I am super excited about how this is gonna play out. She's, just, she's only been with us about three or four months. Actually, I shouldn't say that. She started in, I think, December, but she's been getting to know the organization. And what we've been doing, spending a lot of time with her, with my team, and the legal team and the comms team helping them understand who she is and then she's out doing sort of informational sessions and she works really closely with the inclusion diversity team you know who are part of my team so really helping my team not worry about oh my gosh somebody went to ombuds or they're saying they're going to go to ombuds like almost as a threat we're like that's good this is a good thing. These are all resources for employees. They can go to a leader. They can go to Ben. They can come to me. They can go to their peer. They can they can go to Ombuds. They can go pe- people care. It doesn't matter. We want to hear their concerns. What we don't want to do is shut that down so that then they become very frustrated and we end up, I don't know, with a lawsuit or some other problem. Or losing
1: them or anything. Yeah, or they quit,
2: right? And they're a great employee and they're quitting for a reason that maybe doesn't make any sense because they created a storyline in their head. Which we all know employees do. We all do, right? Lacking information, I create a story. The story becomes reality, and now I have to act. Could we stop that cycle and maybe get, help them navigate? What I heard a statistic the other day that like sixty five or sixty five percent of Americans are looking for new jobs right now during this great reshuffle. But fifty one percent of people who changed jobs during COVID would prefer to have come back to would prefer to go back to their first employer. They regret the change.
0: Yeah. It's amazing. Uh, Because this is a new role and and now going to be a a new small team, um, how is the communication, and it's ongoing, obviously, because it's so new, but how is the communication about, like, you just went through what this individual does and what her team does, um, but also all the things they don't do. So to help employees understand when to go to Ombud versus more traditional HR or legal or comms, um, how's that been going?
2: We just launched a, we call it the People Care Portal, which is a portal for all employees to be able to see all the their pictures and, you know, kind of different resources. And there is a, there's a, there's a, you know, little square for ombuds and they can go on that square and it has all the definitions. And, you know, the ombuds is sort of, it's really cutely branded. It's like, you know, don't know where you stand, come have a seat, you know, it's kind of fun, you know, it's got really nice approach. She did a really good job on it, but it's in there, so there's all that data. Plus, as I said, we've educated our employee resources, employee resource groups, like the People Care group, the folks that respond to email questions and all that, and they understand when you might like. Here are some options for you. How do you want to manage this issue? The employee, the employee, the HR um, business partners are really educated now and feeling good about this. Um, and then. Uh, she's been out, like, we we do a lot of um, informational sessions, and she and our head of diversity are doing sort of these open conversation questions. Um, One of our values is create belonging, so they're doing these sessions together around creative belonging, and we're also doing a a values world tour because we've adjusted our, our values, and so part of the values world tour, we're doing some things around ombuds and diversity and helping just it's incredible the amount of like communication publication, follow-up, 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 you know, onboarding, we're starting to help people understand some of these resources available. So it's, um, you know, well, I, I think we're just going to see how it goes. And she's already had, I mean, she's not formally launched yet, but she's already had a number of visitors and, and she'll say to me like, Hey, I keep hearing some things around this topic. Tell me more about this topic. And are you guys, is this something you're working on? Is this, you might want to be aware that this is noisy. And, and then it gives me some things like, Hmm, I might want to poke around over here and take a look, but not. You know, and she'll say, I was, I was told I could share this with you, but I can't share anything else, right? This person told me they, they want me to give you this information, but they don't want you to tell the name. Or this person said I can give the, both your their name and the information. So she's very careful about honoring that employee's wishes. And we're trying to rebuild trust. We haven't had, you know, we've been, had a great set of support for the organization as a people org. So she's helping us rebuild trust in the people org as well.
1: Yeah, and I think one of the other things you talked about is rebuilding trust with keep with your employees, but then also with the board. Right? Yeah. And so maybe we could just dive into that a little bit more. I know that you you had said when you joined Pinterest, they were in the middle of this audit and really trying to sort of work yourselves through that and it had yeah. some trust lost. So maybe you could speak a little bit to that.
2: Yeah, we had um we have had hundreds of recommendations through this report that was done. And um the board had a special committee that was managing this. And so I joined I had a, a a person who was in my role uh, on an interim basis as they were looking they went to search for the Chief People Officer, so before I joined. Um, And uh, she had been organizing the teams to do delivery of a lot of these implementations. And there were things like, some of it was motherhood and apple pie, like, you know, diverse slate requirements and um, the way we post jobs, or um, it was around a public report on our inclusion and diversity, setting actual goals as opposed to just doing a report. We've actually been doing reports for quite a long time. Um, There were things like uh, a process for investigations that's It's transparent to all employees so that if if you want to have something investigated, you understand what to expect as you go through that process. And so when I joined, I had to kind of look at what have we already implemented? What do we need to implement? And how do I build the trust with the with the special committee and the ultimately the board that I've got things under control? And so, um, you know, I just really leaned in to the partnership with the WilmerHale team, the, the lawyers who had worked on the report to understand what was underneath a lot of the recommendations, leaned into huge amounts of transparency, like this is good and this is bad. Like we're still not, we haven't solved this problem, but also setting really realistic expectations around what we could do and what we couldn't do. Cause I think everybody on the call here could empathize with me in the roles that you play when it comes to human beings and organizational change. These are not like light switches you can just turn on. They take time, you have to do repetition, you have to put foundational things in, and then you can do the next level thing, then you can do the next level thing, and if you layer too quickly, the foundational stuff doesn't get done, and so I just was really, really honest and really, really transparent, and I felt Very good about the relationship now um, in the fact that now the special committee doesn't meet anymore. And now we just report into the the normal comp and and diversity and culture committee. And as part of our updates, we do that. Now we've got about 85 to 90% of the recommendations have been implemented. But there are things that I told the committee when I got there, I didn't agree with the actual recommendations because they were layering some things on that were actually not going to work because we didn't have some foundational components that they thought we might have had. And I was really honest about it. I said, I'm not, I really don't think we should do this until we do this. And then I'll think about whether or not we need to do this. I'll bring you through the process with me and I'll engage with you through it. But I need to say like, because there's a piece of this, I experienced this when I was at Aviva, we'd had a shareholder spring. And they had voted out, like the CEO got, you know, in trouble, the chairman got in trouble, the head of HR, everybody got kicked out. And when I joined as the head of HR there, they had a similar issue with the culture of the company and the shareholder relationships and all that. And when I first experienced that, I was kind of freaked out. I mean, to be honest with you, because I was like, oh my God, I've got this committee and this lawyers and these people that want to look at what I'm doing. And and what I had to learn was that you can't give up your expertise in that environment. You have to be open with it and then have a discussion and debate about what's going on. And and one of the things that I, you know, was able to do here more confidently than I did the first time was just to say, well, you know, I know you want me to do this. Let's talk about what we're trying to solve. And do you think that if we could do it this way, would that still solve the problem? I think actually, here's why I think this would be a better way to solve the problem you know because a lot of this was done by consultants or by lawyers and sometimes you know practices evolve as you guys all know and and what i learned this time or what i did this time because i learned it last time i don't know maybe it's a bad thing that i keep taking on these things that where there's lawyers and reports and boards anyway was to just own this like own my expertise to feel confident enough that I'm bringing a certain expertise. And like, we know stuff in HR guys, like we have some expertise, like there's a thing, HR is a thing. And so I just said, you know, this, I don't agree with these things and here's why, but that doesn't mean that I don't agree with what you're trying to do. And I think it, they have some other ways that we might be able to do it. That might be more resonant with a fast growing company. That's, you know, moving international. And by the way, is distributed workforce and XYZ and and if we do this first we can do the second and then and then having credibility once i deliver on the things that i say i'm going to deliver on then they kind of give you more permission so some of it was i just delivered really a lot in the beginning and then it was about, okay, now let me chant, let me pressure test some things that I don't actually agree with. And they they get, you know, they they partner with and we have a fantastic board. I couldn't ask for better, better leadership. Yeah, that's
1: super I mean the, the great part about what you're talking about is number one, you you took what you learned from previous from a previous experience and were able to, I mean, that's what life's all about, right? But then Hopefully. also, well, clearly, right? You keep you you keep going down that road. But then also um, just that you really rather than just being the order. Taker you really created a solid partnership where you got a better understanding of what they were trying to achieve and knowing the culture and the people, the way that you do. The goal is the same, the approach might be different, but the goal is the same, so is that okay I just yeah. I just love that um, Mallory did ask a question in the chat around as you build back the culture from this work recommendations and that kind of thing, how are you circling back with employees sort of closing that loop so that they know these things are being worked on?
2: Yeah, I'd say we've done it okay. I would say not great. So, so here's a little bit of a learning for me, which was interesting. And actually Nicole Marshall, who's my head of IND, she and I were talking about this. So she went through this. She was at, um, uh, the limited group when they went through a lot of their sort of cultural dynamic in, in 2021 and some of the challenges in 2020. And, And she and I were talking about the differences between how Pinterest had done it versus how they had done it. When she did that work at at Limited, what they did was they started with the vision of what they wanted for their culture. And then they, they talked about the recommendations they got from the third party as sort of supplemental to that vision. Whereas when I came into Pinterest, we had sort of headlined... Wilmer Hale, the law firm, the special committee, we had headlined that being our kind of raison d'etre, and we, we hadn't gotten the other piece, which was the culture on top of it. And so when I first joined, I was like, I said, I don't want to see Wilmer Hale in any communications anymore. Stop writing Wilmer Hale. So that's number one. Nobody says those names outside of the privacy of HR and legal and comms and executive team meetings. I said, secondly, I really want to get rid of this. There was a thing called Inspired Culture, which I also thought had become a pseudonym for Wilmer Hale. Mm. Now, I think I probably kiboshed Inspired Culture too early because some people were still looking for that Inspired Culture name to connect to the stuff we were doing. Um, I would say we've now recovered because we've, we've basically what we did is we went out with a strong business vision connected to then a launch of a refreshed set of values and now those two things together are starting to create that umbrella for the cultural work and we're just trying to be super explicit about our employee voice we did employee voice survey and we did this employee value survey which is a different tool i could talk about another time but we keep saying you've told us this and now we're doing this You've told us this, and now we're doing this. You've told us this, and now we're doing this. And now we're starting to get that sense of, oh, okay, you guys are taking care of the things the really tactical things that are bugging me about my employment experience, you're hearing me. And I'm very tactical about, like, we changed this particular policy this way because you told us that this was a problem. We're, we're doing this vision board thing once a quarter because you told us you don't understand the strategy and you want to understand how you contribute to the strategy. Like, we're very explicit in all of our comms now. And that's starting to get better. But I got kind of irritated by Inspired Culture Wilmer Hale. And I was like, uh, let's talk about, like, culture and the company and what we're trying to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's Starting, we're seeing that shift. So we're getting much better scores on strategy. I understand what we're trying to do. I understand how my work connects, work fit, which is a sense of belonging and connection that scores coming up. So, and we do a quarterly pulse every t- every quarter we do a survey with our employees on particular, a subset that's always in there. And then some particular topics like we just surveyed on employee uh, performance reviews, cause we just finished them.
1: So look, we could I think, honestly, we could talk for at least another hour, if not more. We've got some more questions coming into the chat, but we are at the top of the hour, so we want to honor your time and the time of the people on the call. Just from me and everybody, I'm sure, Tom, you agree, and everybody on the call and I4CP generally, thanks so much for taking the time. This has been incredibly good, getting some great feedback in the chat as well. Um, maybe we can find a time to uh, to bring it back and dig into the things that we didn't have time for. But thanks so much for joining us.
2: Well, thank you. Thanks for everybody. I appreciate you listening to my stories and um, just really value this community. So thank you to Car- Carrie and to Tom. I mean, having these communities are huge. So I just love it when I get to hear your stories too. So happy to share when I can.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of I4CP's Next Practices Weekly Podcast. I encourage you to join us live for these discussions each Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern, 8 a.m. Pacific Time, so that you can ask questions of our guests and co-hosts and participate in the conversation. Just go to i4cp.com forward slash events to register. We hope you'll keep tuning in as I4CP brings you more great HR executives to discuss how high-performance organizations are leveraging best and next practices in HR. Uh, registration is open for our Next Practices Now conference in late March this year in Scottsdale, Arizona. It's an annual tradition that we're super excited to be back to after two years of being virtual only. It is both in-person and virtual, so if you can't make it in Scottsdale, you do have that other option, and there'll be a lot more information coming on the speaker lineup very soon. Thank you, and we hope you have a great and productive week ahead.